Hi, this is Donna Otto, and welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. I cannot believe that we are the end of May. Where did the year go? Weren't we just a minute ago talking about Advent and New Year's resolutions? And today I want to talk to you. My, I love this show because I gather things that are odd and they go a little over here and a little over there. And we've been talking about this word lessify since last fall. And I was reading an article. Let me see if I can find who wrote the article. No, I can't. But I can tell you that she did an interview with a woman whose name is Faith Robertson, who's a professional organizer and the owner of Organize with Faith. So I love all these fresh ideas about organization, being a organization junkie myself. And as most of you know, um, it really was a life changer for me. If you haven't read my book, it's on the website, uh, Secrets to Getting More Done, and that's the class that's available also. So this woman uh, said that organizing with faith will make a difference in how you look at organization. And she just offers four little steps. But I found it very interesting, and she refers to the fact for those of us who live in the cold climates, we don't, springtime, you know, you start looking around. The windows stop being dirty. Maybe they've been washed. You can see out them, and the sun is starting to shine. And you try to figure out, oh, and you can see that closet a little clearly or the top of the counter. Um, so she makes these four little suggestions. One, which is a very good suggestion, and she says to take 10 minutes. Now, she didn't say to set the timer, but I'm going to add... Take 10 minutes, set your timer, and write an ideal post-clutter space. So when you're done with whatever little lessifying decluttering you're going to do, what will it look like? So I love that. Get the image, picture it. All the clothes are hung neatly, the counter is cleared, the dishes are stacked, the food is in the pantry, organized. What does the picture look like? And she said, don't spend any more than 10 minutes. 10 minutes. She says, our current situation aligns with your aspirations, and if it doesn't, what must I do? What would it look like to live, she adds, in a sacrificial space? Did you hear that? There's a long pause there. What would it look like to live in a sacrificial space? Now, remember, this is a faith, organized with faith. So she's going to pull our chain a little bit. And we've come to call home safe space, it should be. We've come to call home my place, it should be. But if we've come to call home and it's only making us selfish, it's too big, it's too expensive, it's too anything, she says, ask yourself, what would it look like to live in a sacrificial space? The second thing she says is to streamline your closet. And, she, and this is a little out of that a tidying up book. She wants you to make sure that every piece in your, of your clothing makes you feel good. Okay, makes you feel good. And I know this to be true. I save some things because I only wear black and white. And I'm going to need a sleeveless black short top. And it doesn't make me feel good at all. It's old. But it's useful. But there are certain pieces that I've worn them enough. My body shape has changed enough. I don't feel good in them. And she's right. Get them out of your closet. And then she talks about purging the toy box. And I just love what she says. Children are decisive by nature. 
they're happily expressed what they're willing to pass along. And as I read that, I thought to myself, it's very true. I've seen children say, no, Mama, I don't want that. But Mama made it. Mama paid for it. Grandma bought it. And the child whose expression is one of willingness to declutter, the mama says, no, we need to keep it. Okay. Well, Grandma gave that to you. Um, so, so be careful with that. Let your children be decisive and respect their decisions. And then lastly, your bookshelf. And I like simply what she says that like going on a trip or a concert think of your books as temporary experiences do you love that i i think that's true i'm very um i i'm very maybe i hoard my books i'm not sure i have to be careful what word i use but i like my books so much and often when i'm getting ready to make a trip uh, especially a trip that's memorable of any sort I like to choose a book that I'm going to remember that book by that trip. So if I've been saving a novel or I've been saving a book, I take it with me on the trip, and then I associate that trip. So she's right. It's a temporary experience. If you haven't read it or reread it, ditch it. Ditch it. And then I read this article about digitized religion and how one church has helped the church, the whole church, embrace the age of internet. And here's what it says. An ancient concept religion is, but it's managed to evolve with every major cultural shift. And think about what we're talking about with regard to the church religion. It's gone from the crusades to the printing press. They killed, burned at the stakes those who translated the scripture and made it perfect, made it available to the people. In the last 15 years, the digital age has reshaped how people practice faith. Since opening its internet campus, Oklahoma City Live Church, yes, the church's name is URL, don't you love that? Has officially become the biggest church in America, attracting more than 53,000 weekly attendees across 28 campuses. It is also the church behind the version, which is the free Bible app that has been downloaded. Are you ready? Staggering number, 300 million times. 300 million times. That's a little short of the total population. Now, that doesn't mean they're all reading it, but they've downloaded it. And it has more than 1,000 translations and 40 languages. If you're frustrated with technology, think about it again, because look what it's doing. Look what it's doing. And then a friend of mine, let me see if I want to say all of this. Okay. If you live in a city that has Elevate, an, an agency, a nonprofit agency that goes into the school system to help kids grow as human beings, graduate from high school and go on to college. Elevate. We live in Phoenix and there is Elevate Phoenix. I know it's in New York. I know it's in Denver. I know it's in Seattle. So look in your city, okay? Look at the program. You'll be amazed at the work they do and the, the numbers are staggering. Uh, the president of Elevate Phoenix sent me an email and told me to watch a YouTube and I don't think I've ever done this before, but I want you to watch this YouTube. It's about family and home. And the title of the YouTube is Thanksgiving in Prairie, Mississippi.
It's a Charles Kuralt piece, and he describes nine children who were the children of sharecroppers. It's five minutes of YouTube, and I promise, well, I can't promise your tears, but I certainly blubbered through it. Okay, then there's one more thing I want to tell you. Well, I've got a couple other things to tell you. I wonder how much time do I actually have. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about millennials because have you heard millennial? Have you heard the word millennial? Those millennials. I think we struggle with a generation because we don't understand the newest and youngest. And now I'm three or four generations away from the newest. So I've been hearing a lot about millennials. But I wanted to say a few things about things I've seen in the newspaper and magazine, the deepening faith of a millennial generation. If you look at the headlines, faith in the millennial generation isn't in a great place. You've probably heard about the rise of the nuns. You know what that is, don't you? N-O-N-E-S, when they fill out an application or form, do you have any church affiliation? None. That's what they're calling them. And it's true. 35% of millennials don't identify with any religion more than double the number of the boomers who say the same thing, okay? In the past 15 years, millions of millennials have walked away from the church. But a closer look reveals a more nuanced picture. Faith among the millennials may not be as widespread as it used to be, but it's getting deeper for those who remain. Research has found millennial Christians who do care about their faith actually have more respect for the scripture than the older generations. They believe the Bible came from God, and 87% of them read it multiple times a week, more than any other generation before them. So there, the millennials are not all the millennials. And I, I think it's important that we look at people individually and that we stop lumping them together. I know they're the second biggest group of people, and so consequently there's a lot of talk about them. And I found another article about millennials that I thought was interesting because it had to do with perfectionism. And I am a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I don't know if I'll ever be past it. And I used all sorts of uh, excuses for the reason why I wanted something to be perfect. And most of us know why we're perfectionists. But it says a new study from uh, St. John University and the University of Bath indicates that millennials are striving perfectionism more than the generations of young people before them. An irrational desire to achieve along with an overly critical control of themselves and others. But he goes on to tell us that part of that is this environment that they are living with. And, and part of that is the way we talk about them. Like they feel badly about who they are and how they, and I don't know how I feel if every time I opened up the newspaper, it said those boomers, you know, those millennials, those. So the blame has to lie with the cell phone, this article says. No, no, it doesn't. Not exactly. According to the researchers, the study concedes that increased use of social media does mean young people compare themselves more often to others, but pays more attention to what is growing in our culture, a thing called merit, merit, I can't say the word now, crossity, meritocracy, okay? And I remember a friend who wrote a book called It Takes So Little to be above average. And when I read this, I thought, that's what they're tr striving to do. I don't know about perfectionism, but I know 
I wanted to do more. I met with a young woman recently, and I meet with young women all the time in my practice here at the ministry and mentoring and in my practice of spiritual direction. And I was so deeply touched. She said that she and her husband met. They met because they both had a a desire to live a deep faith, an out-of-the-ordinary faith. And they were both attracted to men and women who had marched ahead of us, as Peter Kraft said, men and women whose shoulders we stand on. They were very impressed with what it took to have that deep faith. And I was so touched by that. And I think we need to stop and pause and remind each other that ahead of us were men and women, and we need to be the kind of men and women ahead of the millennials that will give them an opportunity to be encouraged. So watch how you're talking about them. Watch what you're saying about them as a group. Be kind. Be generous. Be thoughtful. Be caring. Show them a good way to practice their own walks of faith. And the last thing I want to say, um, I read this from the Relevant magazine, it's that 15 years ago, worship music was something you played at church. And there were albums about it, and there were churches like the Vineyard and Maranatha. But they were mainly bought by worship pastors who were trying to teach their band leaders. And now it says things are changing. And they listed some groups And then they talked about the bona fide worship leaders like Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin who have transformed worship music into a global phenomenon, completely reshaping contemporary Christian music industry. Today, it's Hillsong United, Jesus Culture, Elevation, Bethel, and others who are helping to carry the torch. In fact, songs from Hillsong alone, are you ready? have logged more than 1.5 billion. Did you hear that number? 1.5 billion streams. I love my hymns. I love my hymns. But I love this Christian music that they're writing and creating. I love the new tempos and beats they're doing with old hymns. Don't be afraid to move on categorize what you're listening to make sure it's sound and in good judgment and don't be afraid of a new modern generation well here i am i'm a boomer generation but i'm delighted that there are generations that are growing up younger than me and growing up with the intent of serving god well i hope this eclectic has been fun for you it's always fun for me remember the common begin and the uncommon finish go out and make it a very uncommon day of opening your mind to a millennial.